silly is that? What are we talking about? Let's go do basketball. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Hoop Dreams, the basketball podcast on the 8-Bit Collective, powered by our pals at Audio-Technica. My name is Matt Tilby, and I'm joined by John O'Peck for this one. John, how are you doing? Pretty good. Just uh, watched a couple basketball games on a Saturday, so... That's the way, good. that's the way. Of course, this is a another episode of small ball, bite-sized bits of basketball content for you. We are, of course, missing our, I guess, third musketeer, Brendan White. He is currently, uh, I guess, drowning in sorrows <laughs> after the uh, unfortunate yeah. end to the uh, the championship uh, reign of the Toronto Raptors. Um, we will get to that in a sec, but firstly, I should point out... Uh, we, of course, have some merch. We announced it on the previous episode that we did, but uh, shop8bit.net. You can go and pick yourself up a very dashing Hoop Dreams pocket tee. I believe also a hoodie and a bomber jacket as well uh, are now yep. on the yep. site. Uh, looking very fancy indeed. I'm going to pick one pick one up pretty much after this episode has finished it's and uploaded, I feel. But... but uh, yeah, it's it's been an interesting uh, finals or sort of playoff period, I should say. Um, we have literally just recorded after the Celtics Raptors series has finished, um, and the Celtics are, are, I guess, looking like the, the best chance for the East uh, to go along with it. In my opinion, of course, mm. you know, the uh, the Heat have obviously. Uh, shocked the world in, in downing the much fancied Milwaukee Bucks, as we'll get to that in a sec. But Jono, you were watching that one pretty intently, the Celtics Raptors series. What did you what did you make of it? It was a pretty closely fought sort of series there. Yeah, it was an up and down kind of thing. It looked like the Celts were going to run away with it when they were up two nil and had that chance to go up three nil, if not for OG's last second game winner which was pretty amazing and and really got them back into the series completely uh that certainly swung the tides and and foreshadowed a, a close series so yeah they fought well the raps but they ultimately just couldn't get it going they couldn't get their you know they kind of need their three dudes to to be firing um in siakam lowry and and van fleet i guess but they couldn't get them all going on the same night today, game seven, and a bit of foul trouble. Lowry wasn't there for the last couple of possessions, which hurts a bit. And yeah, as as well as Nick Nurse coaches that team, uh, the the Celtics defense and their variety of options when one guy's not on, there's an all star or two that can step up and just getting really good contributions from Marcus Smart and some of the role players who you wouldn't think would be like the X factor in a series like this but if Marcus Smart wasn't in this series I think the Raps would have taken it because he's just been so good mm. on both ends. I think that's that's it's a good point I think even just looking down the list of the Celtics you know team there's a lot more depth especially in in both offense and defense um, that I felt probably would have given them the upper edge against the Raptors you just feel like like you said, with the, the big three for Toronto, your Van Vliet, your Lowry's, your Siakams, mm. there wasn't too much going down the list. Like if you went to the bench, there wasn't going to be, you know, a massive sort of game breaker for them that was going to come up clutch. And um, it, it really felt like Boston had that sort of, that player, in, you know, in, like you said, in Marcus Smart, who was 
a very effective player for them today. But yeah, it, it just seems like they they hit their wall, Toronto. I felt, but yeah. it was it was tough for them. Yeah, and I mean, it hurts that you've got Ibaka playing so well, but then Marcus Sol kind of hasn't shown up for the series. You'd need that guy playing like he did last year for them to have any chance of, of not only getting past this round, but going to the finals again. Like You need you need the, the Marcus Sol that we know and love, not this version that's slimmed down and can't hit a shot for some reason. <laughs> yeah, he's a very interesting-looking Marcus Sol. Now I do agree. But, of course, on the other side of the ledger, you've got the Miami Heat, who we, of course, just said had um, upset the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, what happened to the Bucks? It's, it's uh, <laughs> I guess, the op- biggest opportunity for them wasted in mm. however many years. But, I mean, the amount of issues that Giannis went through, uh, especially in the last sort of week and a half to two weeks, you know, he was suspended, then he got injured. And, I mean, it, it clearly showed that as much as you want to, you know, stack the team around Giannis and sort of build around him, but they can't function without his sort of his skill set. Mm. It seems, and even with him, like he he had an amazing series and playoff run. Like his stats have been fantastic. I don't know quite what more he could have done aside from not getting suspended uh, earlier <laughs> in that run. But yeah, I, I guess they just don't have that second player to step up and, and make buckets. And Chris Middleton was there and he hit a big shot without Giannis on the floor to, to get them the win in the second last game. But Bledsoe didn't show up the way that you'd hope a guy like him would. And Middleton's never been the put the whole team on his back and, and get a win kind of player. As great and solid and reliable as he is, he's just not that kind of shot creator that you need when Giannis maybe isn't firing or he's fouled out or he's injured like he was towards the end of that series. So I think they'll, they'll need to have a look at their roster and retool and, and really try and make the most of Giannis's prime because he's obviously kind of seems like he's peaking, but without the, the team around him that can, you know, be that like 1B or 2A kind of scoring option and someone that can help carry that load it's um it's hard to see them you know that they didn't get past Miami how are they going to get past you know the Celtics or the, the Lakers or the Clippers or whoever it ends up being it's it's a little concerning uh if, if you're a Bucks fan I think and it's something we've also just seen in the playoffs for the last few years like they couldn't get past the Raptors um in the you know before Giannis really hit this stride that he's in the middle of it was just if you can shut down Giannis then you've taking care of the bucks essentially so yeah I, I think we can see them making some pretty big changes whether it's just getting a new coach in there which is pretty likely i think uh too bad for old bud uh but <laughs> I, I, yeah I, I think that it will really have to be some kind of cha- i don't think they can just come back with the same unit and say let's go again i think they really need to do something to keep people content that they're doing everything they can while they've got Giannis at his prime. Yeah, it's a difficult situation given that Giannis obviously demands such a a huge pay packet and they have to sort of build what they can around him. And I felt like they did quite well 
grabbing Robin Lopez. Or was it Brooke Lopez? Brooke, I get uh, Brooke confused and, all, all and the time. They got both the Lopez's, to be well, honest. There you go. They're, they're almost interchangeable in my eyes, but um, I felt like Brooke, Brooke was a, a pretty solid pickup for them at the center position, but I felt like that was them sort of clutching at straws, making the best of what they what mm. they had. I don't think, you know, if you went to any team and said, look, here's Brooke Lopez, they would have said, yeah, he's our first choice, but... I felt like they, they certainly made him a, a very competitive option for the centre. But this now, like you said, Giannis is in his prime. And whether or not they build around him um, successfully in the next sort of, I'd say, two years uh, remains to be seen. But do you feel like this sort of failure to reach the heights with Giannis might sort of push him to look elsewhere? Or do you think his heart is, is staying in Milwaukee? There's been almost no sign that he's not happy in Milwaukee as an organization and as a city. Like th- that not, I've seen. Not like anyway. in the same way that Bede is like, oh, time for a new chapter, and everyone's like, you're talking absolute yeah. you know, bullshit here. So, yeah, it's, yeah. So it's it's not in the sense that like Anthony Davis was kind of disgruntled, and we've seen other superstars, whether it's Carmelo or Dwight Howard or. You know, even the the cryptic clues that LeBron used to kind of dish out here and there when he was in Cleveland. He seems like he's a, you know, he's a pretty down-to-earth kid. He came up from not much, and he's very grateful to be where he is and to the city that drafted him and took a chance on him and developed him. So I feel like unless he has some major mentality shift, the way that Kevin Durant did in OKC... Um, before he left to the, to the Warriors, I think I feel like he he wants to stay there and he he'll, he will, but yeah, if they don't go out and get him some help or involve him in you know consult him in like what kind of coach do you think we should get in here or kind of just fluff him up a bit, I, I think that yeah, that's when you start thinking like maybe he'll start looking elsewhere and being in that bubble with all of the contact with his uh, rivals and peers might have have been an opportunity for a bit of the seeds to be sown on that kind of thing especially when you see um, some teams with a bit of you know bit of space to open up for him or an opportunity that where, where he might slot in there real well exactly well the other team on the other side of the Eastern Conference final is of course the Miami Heat who you could argue have surprised everyone getting as mm. far as they have they've uh, recruited very well of course Jimmy Butler coming through this season but also the draft prospects that have come through Kendrick Nunn came through as well as everyone's uh, favorite young three-point shooter Tyler Hero yeah uh, one of my personal favorites I yeah, should I love say. that guy <laughs> he's awesome <laughs> uh, if you'd have said to any Miami Heat fan at the start of the season, you're going to make the Eastern Conference Finals with a decent shot of making the finals, hmm. would they have laughed you out of the room? Or, or how would you have reacted to that? Yeah, I think you'd have to assume that there was like some major injuries in the East. And there's not really. Like, Gian- yeah, Giannis got hurt, but I think they had lost the series before that happened. It certainly wasn't looking good for them. So, yeah, they've certainly earned everything that they've got and they've done it with this... It seems like it's just their approach to the game as much as it's, you know, some great GM moves and some good coaching, as always, from Spolstra, but the tenacity of of the team and their focus on fitness and, you know, low body fat and that kind of thing, I think it's 
just a mindset that Miami always has, whether they're at the top of the standings or at the bottom. As long as Pat Riley's been there, they've just been a real team that, that goes for it as far as the, the conditioning. So now that they do have Butler there, who's, as we know, like super competitive and like literally just wants to lead a team to the finals. To a, to a fault, it seems. Yeah, to a fault, just wants to have a team and, and win games and lead them to the finals. Like, to, to put him in that type of scenario, like, that's why he went there, really, it seems like, because it's a, a system that lines up with his personal mantra. And Yeah, he's the, he's the alpha dog in, in Miami, clearly. Yeah, and uh, I think the kind of the X factor here is Dragic, and the fact that he's turned into FIBA Dragic. He's, he's not the Dragic that you know, Matt Tilby. Yeah, like, why couldn't he have done this for not only my sons, but also my season's fantasy team? Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what it is. I, I don't know how old he is, you might remember, but I feel like he's... I know he's definitely been in the league since, like, 09, 10. Like, he was on that Nash Suns team that nearly went to the to the finals. Yeah, he's... um. He's early thirties, like he'd be thirty-two now, I think. But mm. yeah, he was—he's been around for almost a full decade. Like he—he he was being blooded, uh, blooded up through the the Suns team that went to the conference final um, yeah. and was the understudy to Nash. And when Nash obviously went to the Lakers, he just jumped straight in and was part of that sort of crazy tandem with not only Bledsoe Bledsoe. but also Isaiah Thomas as well. Yeah. Like. God, we had three weird. All, like cal- three all-star caliber point guards and we let them all go. Yeah. Jesus. What a weird roster that was. But yeah, yeah like I, it seems like he's at his most relevant now at, at 32 mm. or 33. Uh, just with the how well he's playing and maybe it's the team scenario with, with Jimmy there as kind of another ball handler who can certainly create a shot for himself. But yeah, I'm, I'm glad that he's had that kind of postseason resurgence and it's cool to see point guards kind of doing it in their 30s we've had a lot of that with Lowry and Chris Paul going so deep and just um, proving that you don't have to be like a, a Steph Curry or like a, a Westbrook like a athletic or amazing shooter to really put your, your stamp on the game it's these guys that can control the the offense and they can speed things up and slow them down and use their body in different ways. Well, also, uh, as we move over to the West, of course, Rondo over at the Lakers is also yeah. doing a, a, He's a turning the clock job. Back. Yeah, exactly. Uh, of course, we do jump over to the Western Conference where at the time of recording, uh, the Western Conference Finals have not been set yet, uh, but it does look pretty promising that an all Los Angeles Finals, or I should say Western Finals, is... Uh, potentially taking shape. Um, I believe the Clippers and Nuggets went to 3-2 today, um, but it does look pretty close that uh, the Lakers may advance over the Rockets. Mm-hmm. Obviously, at this point in time, you have to say the Lakers in the West look like the best sort of chance, but given the way that the Clippers and Nuggets are playing either one of those teams could could really make a, a good fight of it if they are on their game. Yeah, I was saying this in our Hoop Dreams group chat, but there's six teams around. Well, there were six teams before the Raptors got knocked out. But there's we'll five <laughs> There's five teams here, and I wouldn't be shocked if any of them 
won the championship at this point. Like the, at the start of the playoffs, I would have said it's going to be the Bucks or one of the LA teams, but there's just weaknesses in every roster, and there's some level of parity across the league, which is really great. I think that you have these teams like uh, Miami and, and Boston, who if everybody shows up, they're amazing. Um, but it's often the case where someone's off their game or they're hurt, like as we have like Gordon Hayward's a good example of that in Boston. And, you know, Marcus Smart turning the series around is a good example of, of that working. But if he doesn't show up in that way, they're not quite the opponent that they, they have been against the Raptors. So, and then in, in obviously we're talking about the West now. There's uh, some obvious flaws with the Lakers with, you know, how top-heavy they are after AD and LeBron and just not knowing if you're going to get anything from those role players. You know, you kind of need yeah. at least one of them to score 15 points uh, a, a game. And is it going to be Danny Green tonight? Is it going to be KCP the, the next night? Is it going to be Caruso? And you can't really confidently say that they're going to do it. Whereas, you know, over in Miami, you have a bunch of guys who you really can kind of rely on to score like maybe three or four guys could score 10 points a game and that's going to get you the support around kind of the superstar athletes on the on the They're roster sort of spreading so, the load yeah exactly yeah and and Le- it's not like lebron and ad have been going off for like 40 a game and winning it that way so they might need to do that <laughs> for them to 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 go all the way so yeah i guess what i'm trying to say is it's a really interesting playoffs at the moment and i can see anyone taking it you sort of discussed there the uh i guess the weakness surrounding la being how top heavy they are i mean the lakers i should say but Mm. especially for the clippers do you see that being the same sort of thing or do you feel like they've sort of fleshed out their roster a little bit more they've definitely fleshed it out a bit more but at the same time we haven't had paul george being consistently super duper star that he needs to be uh has been fantastic obviously but even those those uh supporting players in la they they need to kind of all show up when they're playing against a team like denver who also has like a million scoring options or or guys that can kind of go off or, or just get you a bucket when you need one like we saw today with porter jr maybe the least likely person to to hit a game winner and, and make a game saving block but he did it after having like a pretty pretty poor game. He came through in the clutch. And they just have so many dudes who can do that, whether it's Harris, whether it's Murray, whether it's Jokic. Like you can kind of, or Millsap even, I forgot about. And he was great today. So that like it's a team similar to Miami. That It's like, it's cool that there's one on each side of the, the conference. These guys that kind of the underdogs, I guess, the Heat and the Nuggets. But when they're playing well, you can't really see anyone... Um, easily beating them. Do you see this, the success of the Nuggets sort of hinging on whether Jokic turns up? Because it seems like, especially in the last you know, couple of months, especially since the uh, the restart, I should yeah. say, uh, that he's, he's sort of felt, you know, he, there's been games where he's just not looked like he cares and, and just hasn't been putting in the effort, but then miraculously he'll come back and, you know, mm. give you like almost a triple-double Um and, and it just seems like he's a he's a very sort of streaky player, but when he's on, he's on. Do you feel like mm. that's going to be the, the difference for them going forward? Yeah, he's such a hard guy to kind of figure out, isn't he? I think 
they have won when he hasn't showed up. You know, a good example is the series where Jamal Murray just went off against Utah and repeatedly came out with those performances that got them across the line. So it is possible for them to, to do that, but for a whole series against a team that's as good as the Clips or the Lakers, you definitely need Jokic there, uh, especially with the strength of their bigs. You know, he needs to kind of try and defensively slow down Davis, slow down, uh, you know, Montrez and and just be that force that he, he can be on the offensive end and, and make them really exert a lot of energy to slow him down and, and interrupt his fantastic passing and that kind of thing. So, yeah, I mean, Jokic is a guy who, even if he doesn't show up, you can't really count him out at any point in the game because he's just so deadly with when he's got that ball in his hands. Um, the effort is something that people have questioned, and I don't know if it's an effort thing or if he's lacking the capacity to to just consistently do it, but it's something that I'm sure that the Denver beat writers have a really good sense of. I'd, I'd like to look into that a bit more and kind of see what the consensus seems to be. Have you caught much of the, the, the Nuggets in the playoffs? Not really. I've I've been able to watch a couple of highlights here and there, and it seems more like Murray has almost been the go-to for them, yeah. at least over the, the last sort of couple of rounds, uh, rather than, than Jokic. But I, I, I do agree that they at least have that fallback. Um, you know, even guys like Gary Harris and occasionally Michael Porter Jr. who, who do sort of show up um, to sort of bail them out if Jokic isn't having you know his his good game you mm. know once every four or five. <laughs> but um, yeah, it, it certainly seems like they've at least got that that fallback plan if if um, if Jokic isn't having the the best sort of time of things, which which can obviously help them. But I do agree. I think. If they're going to go any further than, than what they currently have and, and maybe even test the Lakers um, yeah. for, for, for supremacy in the West, I think they really need to have that that toughness down low. I think coming up yeah. against a guy like Anthony Davis, who was obviously, you could argue, at his peak uh, at the moment, like you've got to be pretty tough and physical and mm. um, or else he's, he's absolutely going to burn you. So you've really got to have um, a guy like... Jokic, who is obviously motivated and wants to go out and win. So, yeah, I think that's kind of been their style since Carmelo left years ago. Like, like they've just always had a bunch of players. Like back then, it was they had Gallinari and Ty Lawson and Iguodala for a season or two, and like they've always been a team that wasn't really built around one guy being able to to get it done it's been a team effort and they still have that happening now it's just they have the potential to have that on top of a superstar in the middle like Jokic being able to deliver and and get the job done like put the team on his shoulders the way we've seen guys like Lillard and Luca do for, for some teams that aren't quite at the elite level uh, so that's what you really would want as a Denver fan, but it just hasn't seemed to get all the way there quite yet. Mm. Time will tell whether they can make it past the uh, the Clippers at this point. Um, and hopefully, with the next episode that we film, we will have mm. a better idea of that, whether it's uh, a conference finals review or a finals preview, we shall let you know. But mm. uh, we thought we might have a quick... Uh, check through the awards that have been uh, given out 
uh, as of yet. Uh, of course, the MVP hasn't been given out just at this point in time, but it seems like they're drip-feeding a lot of these awards, which I've, I've, I'm not sure if that ever happened before. They seem to have been sort of slowly dropping them one by one, whereas yeah. I thought they always used to just release them all in one big go. I never, I never I saw think, this happening. No, I think they used to do it within the space of a week. Like It was like, today we're going to focus on Rookie of the Year, and then a couple mm. of days later... But this one, it's like they're like almost a week apart. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, we've got a couple here that we can uh, run through at least, of starting with the uh, Coach of the Year going to uh, one of Brendan's favorite people, Mr. Nick Nurse of the Toronto Raptors. Uh, a pretty, well, you could you could argue a poison chalice for Coach <laughs> of the Year because Mike Budenholzer of the Bucks and Billy Donovan of the OKC Thunder were the other finalists. And... It seems like, well, you're either getting eliminated far earlier than you wanted to or you're completely leaving your post in general. So, Yeah, well, Dwayne, yeah, Casey, was the, Dwayne Casey was the last Raptors coach to win it and he got fired that season. So Exactly. <laughs> yeah, not a, not a great position to be in, but uh, I guess congratulations to him all the same. It shows you how hard it is to be an NBA coach. Like, you can literally be... The, considered the best coach or in the top three coaches of the year and have your job on the line <laughs> yeah it's a very fragile i guess position but yeah. uh i mean congratulations to him i guess <laughs> he's certainly done a very good job like obviously uh, yeah. with without their sort of big star in, in, in Kawhi leaving they've been able to sort of keep you know pretty much the entire core of that team uh for another season going and many people sort of thought you know they might drop off they I might, definitely thought you know, they would drop off I yeah, predicted that exactly. I, I think I thought they'd be like a 7th or an 8th seed and definitely proved me wrong yeah they've uh, managed to keep pretty steady which is uh, a credit to, to Nick and, and the team but um, we do move on to the rookie of the year which was almost a unanimous vote uh, from what I've read Ja Morant of the Memphis Grizzlies taking this one over Kendrick Nunn and Zion I, I Anyone who thought Zion was even a chance of making Rookie of the Year has rocks for brains, personally. Um, it's a philosophy I don't know how thing, you... isn't it? It's, yeah. it's like they go, oh, he's clearly the best player, therefore he's the Rookie of the Year. But that's not really the way it works. I think, like, you have to look at how much, you know, how much Jar brought to the Grizzlies. He definitely gave them that sort of kick up the ass that the, the, the franchise sort of desperately needed and almost made them a you know, a, a team to watch. They made them quite exciting. A lot of the highlights that were coming out of the uh, the Grizzlies organization pretty much came at the hands of, mm-hmm. of Mr. Morant. But, yeah. like, I can understand Kendrick Nunn possibly being uh, a nominee. He sort of came out of nowhere, and I believe he was undrafted and, and really sort of showed, you know, showed teams why you should have picked him up. But, yeah, Zion playing, what, 19, 20 games and being nominated for that is a bit of a, you know... A, kick, a bit of a, a kick to other players who might have been, you know, more deserving of that. I don't know, like Tyler Harrow could have easily been there. I know that we talk a lot about him, but mm. um, he was certainly, you know, a chance for that. But yeah, it's it's tough to say where that goes from there in terms of how you vote for Rookie of the Year. But yeah, yeah, it happens every few years, like when Malcolm Brogdon won Rookie of the Year and. I oh yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't remember which draft class that was. Do you remember who was it? Embiid's first season or something? It might have been. It was. It was, it was either twenty sixteen or seventeen. Yeah. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of uh, rookies that got hurt. 
but um, yeah, it's it's a it's a tough debate when you've got a guy that you really want to give it to. They're clearly the best player. They and they like Zion played less games than anyone that's been in that conversation. I think, <laughs> but yeah. Um, yeah. So, congrats to to Jar. It's it's not like the Malcolm Brogdon one at least where you go, you know, Jar's definitely. Even if Zion played a full year, it would still be kind of a conversation you need to have about the two of them. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think Jar going forward seemed like the more sort of, I guess, complete player. And I know that like Zion's been obviously hyped as one of the the, the best young prospects I believe since LeBron. But like Jar just to me felt like a more complete player. He felt more comfortable in his role with the Grizzlies and mm. seeing him in the old uh, Vancouver. Retro was was a sight to, was cool. to behold, which was very nice. But uh, uh, we move on to the sixth man award uh, awarded to Montreal Harrell of the Clippers. A lot of people I saw on Instagram a little bit disappointed that Dennis Schrader didn't win this one. What do you think of this? Yeah, I mean, it's tough because the Clips obviously have Lou there as well, Lou Williams, who's been like the kind of prototypical stock standard sixth man of the year for his whole career just about so to, to look at Montreal and, and Lou on the same roster and give it to, to Harrell I think it's almost like points for Lou went towards <laughs> Harrell it's like you, you have to give it to one of the Clippers and um, it's it's you know Lou's had his turn <laughs> yeah. so that might have been a factor where they just said you know the Clippers have one of the best benches Let's give it to him. And it's tough because, you know, you want, it's good to see it go to a big. It's almost always a scoring guard that comes in and wins it, whether it's like your Jamal Crawfords or your J.R. Smiths or your, um, you know, Lou, Lou Williams type of player. Um, so for a big to get it, it's just a bit different and it's good to see. But then, yeah, someone like Shrouder, who a lot of people had written off as a player that couldn't really be that leading point guard. And now that he's not the leading point guard with Chris Paul on that roster, it's like, oh, well, maybe he actually does have, you know, the potential to do that. So it'll be interesting to see what whether, you know, OKC parts ways with Chris Paul and, and lets him kind of take the reins after having a year where he's been able to learn from a future Hall of Famer. Or if he just nicely slots into that six-man role for the rest of his career and, you know, the different kind of expectation that that comes with, that'll be, I guess, key for him staying relevant in the NBA, which is tough for for guys like him who, you know, they're not like the clear-cut super, super star, like, point guard that you can have with, uh, you know, there's, there's so many elite point mm. guards in the league. Yeah, exactly. I always thought Harrell was always playing the four while Zubac was playing the five. So I felt it was weird when it was announced as a six-man nominee that he was a part of this conversation because I felt like he was always a starting sort of power forward. You can, you I, can guess almost Kawhi, play him at the I guess Kawhi, the had, like, Kawhi Leonard had been probably listed as the starting power forward for a lot of games. Like if they're playing him and Chris, uh, him and Paul George at the same time, one of them would probably be that power forward. Right. Okay. I guess that makes sense. Anyway, congratulations to him. He's definitely been uh, 
playing lights out and he's been, I guess, getting a bit of uh, controversy over some of the comments he made to Luka Doncic <laughs> earlier in that series. But uh, the, the less said about that, the better. Uh, <laughs> defensive Player of the Year. This one could have gone really either way. But, of course, it went to uh, Giannis. Um, of course, Anthony Davis and Rudy Gobert were the other finalists. Like, mm. it could have been one of... It could have really gone either way. But, like, I think what Giannis brings to his game and what he's been able to bring defensively, obviously we all know about how offensively incredible he is. But just the the type of person he is, both in, in, in size and stature, just makes him so difficult to... Uh, to really get a get a grip of yeah for sure it's um it's it's a feather in the cap but ultimately it's not gonna really be that satisfying until he can get further in the playoffs i think it's it's just another trophy that reminds him of the trophies he doesn't have (laughs) yeah that is true obviously another nomination for rudy gobert as well which is Mm. probably nice for him after the uh well i guess the season he had (laughs) Being, yes. I guess blamed for what's Patient happened zero. in the world, but yeah, yeah. I think the, um, the narrative on that flipped flipped around though. Like, it was such a different time when the pandemic was starting, where people like I think I probably made jokes about it too. But it was like you know you ruined the the season, and if it wasn't for Gobert, then you know the season wouldn't have been suspended but it's been pretty obvious from the way that things have shaken out that it was just a matter of time and he just happened yeah. to be that first person and he just happened to be a bit flippant about it in the days leading up to it yeah absolutely uh we of course move on to i guess the last of the uh single player awards that have been announced so far we may update you on some of the other ones that happen in further episodes but most Improved Player was awarded to Brendan Ingram of the New Orleans Pelicans. Mm. Bam Adebayo and Luka Doncic were the other finalists. And this is another one I felt could have gone either way. I felt like Bam was probably a better option, uh, given how much he's exploded and become, I guess, a crucial part of a very surprising Heat team. But yeah. Ingram, it, this should have happened, this improvement should have happened years ago, I felt, <laughs> when he was back on the Lakers. and. Yeah. He just really wasn't showing that potential. But I guess being given that sort of, you know, almost starting role and being able to, to sort of, you know, have that time and that those minutes, um, I guess he's not sort of sitting behind LeBron in the pecking order anymore, gives him a little bit more of a, an opportunity. But yeah. how did you see this one panning out? Yeah, it's hard to complain about it because they're, they're all so worthy in their own kind of ways. Like Ingram has become the guy in New Orleans at the moment. And that that's a, a team that, without Zion, I guess you would have thought, oh, like, what are they going to do? Like, are they going to win 30 <laughs> games? They're going to win 25 games. And the fact that they were able to basically get to just the cusp of the playoffs and um, really surprise people, I think a lot of it's to do with Ingram taking a huge step forward and realizing the potential that a lot of people thought he had and I think people just like seeing that kind of story where a guy that some people had written off lives up to it as as far as like Bam like he's a guy that there wasn't really those expectations for and he's been so great this year but he's also probably a clear second option behind Jimmy Butler the Luca one for me is interesting because he's a second year player and he won rookie of the year so he was already 
you know, great. Yeah, he was also yeah already doing pretty well, and <laughs> yeah. I felt like this was a bit of a weird one. And you, you kind of you, you expect a second year player to improve ninety percent of the time, like you you got rare exceptions like uh, like Tyreek Evans when someone has like a peak in their rookie year and then they get worse. Um, <laughs> but for Luca to get nominated, it really really shows how great he was this year that he was essentially an MVP candidate to go from rookie of the year to most improved like that level of you know increased production and and respect that he has from the league it it has to go kind of hand in hand with that level of a jump to to that kind of MVP conversation and I think that's where he's going to be for the next few years because he's awesome could you have made the case for Devonte Graham being in uh, the most yeah. improved category? I think it would have made more like traditional sense to have him more there instead of Luca. Yeah, yeah, like that. That's like the way that the award usually goes is to not have like your superstar, you know, top six MVP candidate in the most improved conversation. <laughs> um, but I guess that the, it's the Hornets, and they don't get that much respect and it was also just like he had a jump a huge jump in playing time which is is a kind of a kind of a uh, it's not a fallacy but it's it's a bit misleading you know if, yeah, if, if someone if you look at the per 36 stats i'm sure he still improved but it probably wasn't like an insane jump where you know he, he was playing like 10 minutes a game or eight minutes a game and now he's playing 25 or 30 minutes a game and his numbers jump way up and I think the thing that was surprising about that was that he did it in spite of who they signed to be the bleeding point guard on that team <laughs> God, I, I guess they're feeling pretty bad about that Terry Rozier contract right about now but mm. no I was going to say at least they have Devontae <laughs> well yeah exactly and uh, we will end today's episode with the a quick look at the all defensive teams and it's a pretty star-studded effort for this one um australian ben simmons makes his first all defensive first team um and we also have marcus smart who's been pretty much showing why he's part of that team at the moment through the uh the current series that's just gone through uh davis and tetacumpo and rudy gobert pretty much your defensive player of the year nominees all in there in the defensive first team mm. You could argue, maybe apart from from Ben, like it's a pretty solid, like and an expected uh, defensive first team. Yeah, definitely. And the the conversation that I've seen happening around this is the lack of True Holiday. I don't know if it was a JJ Redick podcast that's kind of started the conversation about him being like the toughest guy to play against, but he's been getting love from all over the league from his peers and his rivals in like Lillard and other guys that are just saying like, this guy's a problem and he's super underrated. Mm. The fact that he doesn't, he never seems to make these teams yet. He's the one guy that people are like, I hate playing against him. Well, there's a, there is a, a list here. I'm looking on the NBA website of uh, other players who just missed out. Um, the closest to making uh, one of the teams would have been Chris Dunn, who had 31 votes, oh. Kyle Lowry on 23 and then drew holiday on 18. Um, some interesting, I guess, single and, you know, smaller vote getters there. Dante DiVincenzo got two votes. Um, 
as well as Russell Westbrook getting one vote, which is uh, just hilarious. James Harden getting two. Um, I don't know what to say about that. Did, but did, did Westbrook get to have a vote for this one? I don't know. It, he may it, have it voted for himself. <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> Wouldn't that be just uh, just appropriate? Yeah. But uh, yeah, it only shows just the votes that they, they grabbed, but uh, that's for the guards at least. But we'll move mm. quickly on to the defensive second team. And this is a little bit different for this one. Uh, Patrick Beverly at the starting point guard and then Eric Bledsoe at the shooting guard. And then you could sort of change between Kawhi and Bam at the, the forwards position with Brook Lopez in at the center. Um, a lot of these guys sort of getting their almost their first uh, second team efforts. Yeah. Bledsoe and Beverly have both made first teams before. Obviously, Kawhi is no stranger to a defensive, uh, defensive team. But... Uh, Brook Lopez in there as well. Um, he hasn't made any defensive teams before mm. this one. That's surprising. Um, yeah, he, he, like Bledsoe has always been a pretty defensive point guard. Yep. I felt obviously shown by the the amount of def, uh, defensive selections he's got, but the total amount of points, obviously, like there's a list of of how many points they all got, and Kawhi doubled up on any of the other. Uh, players who got around the 60 point mark Kawhi got 128 so it's clear like if it wasn't going to be a first team like Kawhi might have snuck into you know the first team there but it's interesting seeing uh, who else got uh, votes for the forwards PJ Tucker got 29 votes uh, Jimmy Butler getting 28 uh, LeBron only getting 7 um, and just looking further down the list uh, Aaron Baines of the Phoenix Suns getting one vote. I wonder who... Uh, How do you feel about that? I feel good, personally. <laughs> We're getting slightly slightly recognised for the season we've had, but that might have just, just been purely off the game that he had where he scored, like, what, 36 points and had, like, 10 rebounds or whatever, but um, more of it, personally. I'd like good to see more base. of that. <laughs> and uh, the other players receiving votes at the centres, Joel Embiid got 11 and then it's pretty much daylight to uh, Andre Drummond with two, Hassan Whiteside with two, and then Jarrett Allen and Stephen Adams with one. Um, overall, like a pretty fair expected all-defensive first and second team there. Um, obviously, the all-NBA first team and uh, all-NBA teams and all-NBA rookie teams um, are yet to be announced. We will probably have news on that Um when it comes to hand in our next episode. And hopefully Brendan will be back to uh, debate those ones with us. It should be an interesting episode. But uh, you got anything else for this one, Jono? No, that's it. Looking forward to the conference finals. It's going to be awesome, as I said before. Got a lot of parity in the league, which is what people have been fighting for for a long time. So it's a good time to be an NBA fan, despite you know everything that's happened this season. The bubble's yeah. been a huge success, in my opinion. I know that... Um, you know, Donald Trump likes talking about the lack of TV ratings, but <laughs> uh, I think it's been amazing. Like I said to you guys, I forget that there's no crowd half the time. Yeah, they've they've done quite well sort of filtering in crowd noise and getting the big sort of fan screens mm. up behind it, which makes it uh, quite an interesting spectacle yeah. given how neutral the, the games are at this point. But Yeah, I think the yeah, commentary, I- like the announcers have done a really great job too. It's been awesome having Stan Van Gundy in there and... Um, yeah, for the most part, they've been really good and they add so much of the atmosphere as well, I think. Yeah. 
Well, that will do it uh, for us for this uh, episode of Small Ball. If you guys have any other comments, queries, questions, or complaints, while my dogs are here in the room with me, uh, you can send us a message with the hashtag Hoop Dreams. You can always follow what we're doing at We Are 8 Bit. Jono, where can they follow you? Uh, you can find me at Jono himself on all socials. You can also follow uh, our friend Brendan White at Brendan8Bit. And you can also follow me on Twitter and all socials at It's Tilby. But from me, Matt Tilby, and Mr. John O'Peck, it is goodbye for now. Take care. Australia's John O'Peck. Thank you. Yes, I should say Australia's John O'Peck. <laughs> Keep dreaming. Keep dreaming.